The choice to have a lottery in Alabama could finally end up in the hands of Alabama voters. That would be great. Save a lot of miles driving. That'd be a good deal. We're losing tax money. Coming over to Florida, giving it to them. Expanding medical marijuana is a hot-button issue in the Alabama legislature. I do think that there is an appetite to really look at the issue of medical marijuana. This is Podgressive South. I'm Will Lockamy. I'm Heather Milam. All right, Heather, what are we tackling today? Let's talk about two issues today. We're expanding. Two issues? That's a lot of information, Heather. I know. I think we can handle it, though. First issue, lottery here in Alabama. Second issue, marijuana. You know, they're proposing legalizing medical marijuana. All right, Heather, break it down for us. Where are we now as a nation with the lottery? Good question, Will. Lotteries are run by 48 jurisdictions. That includes 45 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Up until very recently, uh, Mississippi did not allow the lottery, citing concerns that it was direct competition to their gambling industry. The same goes for Nevada. Hawaii and Alaska do not feel the competitive pressure to institute one. And then you have Alabama and Utah uh, citing religious reasons over the many years to not institute a lottery. But where does the money go? In most states like Georgia and Tennessee, the majority of the revenue goes back to the players who play the lottery. But second to that, it goes toward education funding. And then you've got some residual uh, revenue that goes to operating expenses and the retailers that operate the lottery. So we'll start there. So yeah, Alabama, the state uh, where you and I reside, has not had a lottery, but that could be changing now. There's legislation that has been introduced during this session that, you know, looks like maybe it has more of a chance than it has in the past. Why do you think it has more of a chance now than in the past? Um, Because that's what they say. I just did my (laughs) quotey fingers. I mean, the biggest reason, I guess, is because now Mississippi has even passed it, right? We're always trying to keep up with Mississippi or at least stay level with them. And they passed it last year. So now Alabama is completely surrounded by states. I think it's obvious to everyone that people in Alabama are spending money on the lottery, and it's going to other places. It has been a real Democratic push, even as recent as last year during the midterm election. The Democratic gubernatorial candidate really ran hard on proposing a lottery and and putting that out there for a vote. I think we know as a state we're losing a lot of money uh, to neighboring states like Florida and Georgia and Mississippi, who all have lotteries. Also, Alabama needs money. Representative Jim McClendon from Springville, Alabama, is proposing a very clean lottery bill, in his words. Basically, what that means is there are no casinos, there are no card tables or games. There are simple paper lottery tickets and video lottery terminals. There are no earmarks for the revenue that comes in. He is proposing that half of the revenue that's not paid out into winnings or to the operating expenses of the lottery be split between the state's general fund and the education trust fund. Yeah, I feel like the education trust fund is the one that really everyone's excited about for the most part. I I have friends from Florida and Georgia who both were recipients of a free college education thanks to the lotteries. And not only do they not have student debt now that they have to pay back, but the incentives when they were in high school to keep that B average, it helped them and their friends stay focused on schoolwork when really at a time in your life, and I know at least I was not too concerned about it. Well, when you know that the 
funding is there if you maintain your good grades or your good standing in school. You're right. It does provide a bit more incentive. And I'll tell you, something else that provides incentive is the exponential increase in college tuition. We were doing a little research before the show, and... You were doing a little research, (laughs) but go ahead. I'm not big on, you know, reading. The whole reading thing. You get your news from Facebook. Exactly. (laughs) But college tuition here in the state of Alabama is roughly... With a public institution, can be over $40,000 for a four-year degree. That is a lot of money. And what we know is that the cost of a public college education has increased eight times higher, according to Forbes, eight times higher than our wages have increased. So the cost of your public education is outpacing your wages eight times. And look, I think we need to point out, too, that a lottery is not a perfect answer. There are cons to lottery. A lot of people say this is a tax on the poor. I understand that. I have a little bit of a moral objection to gambling in general. I certainly don't judge people who do it. It's just it's not my thing. But the reality is that we are losing a lot of revenue to other states. Yeah, and I think that is the point, right? Um, Whether you're rich or poor in the state of Alabama, people are spending money on the lottery. It's just being spent in the other states. One other thing to consider is the appropriations of the revenue that come in. There's been a lot of concern with other states, Florida included. They've had real issues about where the money is going when they passed their lottery back in, gosh, 1986. There was a real hope that it would just create a windfall of revenue for education. But what they've seen is that not happening. And in fact, the Florida education system has had really bad ratings uh, and grades, according to their teachers union, not allocating enough funding for the education system. It's going back into their general fund and their general operating expenses. And we already know that Representative McClendon's bill proposes just that. So I understand the pros and cons. Here in our state, we have to pass an amendment that has to be voted on by everyone in Alabama. We then can pass a bill to institute the lottery. Yeah, I think it'll be amendment number 842,000. Yeah, I think that's... That's really close. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but beep, boop, boop. Yep, that's it. 842,000. Longest constitution in the world at this point. Some of the money, by the way, also will be set aside to set up a program to help gambling addiction, because that's a real thing. It needs to be comprehensive if, in fact, this does get passed. It's going to be an interesting debate, and I'll be here for it. You'll be here for it. We'll continue to cover it, but that's kind of where we are. So yes, it is true. We talked about marijuana just two episodes ago on our very first episode, but that was about the laws surrounding simple possession of marijuana. Now there's a new reason to talk about our favorite topic. It's not really our favorite topic. That's because legislation was introduced regarding medical marijuana. You know, it's worth pointing out again, uh, we quoted this back in our first episode, 33 states allow for the use of medicinal marijuana. 10 states in the District of Columbia allow for recreational use. This is legal in the majority of the country, and it continues to be proven that it's far less invasive and far less harrowing than opioid. Yeah, the opioid crisis is out of control, especially in Alabama. Heather, you probably know this, but Alabama's fourth congressional district has the highest rate of opioid prescriptions per person out of any other congressional district in the nation. What? Uh Uh-huh. I didn't know that. Let's find out who our representative is from the fourth congressional district. We do have a clear problem with serious addiction, and it has nothing to do with marijuana, THC, CBD oil, or even hemp. 
Yeah, passing medical cannabis legislation here in Alabama it will give care providers the ability to receive an alternative therapy to opioids because right now that's just the go-to. Okay, so medical cannabis, what is it good for, right? Uh, here are a few things. Epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, nausea from cancer, the cancer drugs, nausea from HIV, and those just start the list. So I think it's time we do give it its rightful place in our medical world. And look, I think it would be a lie if anyone listening to this podcast or you or I would sit here and say, I don't know anyone who smokes marijuana or takes CBD oil. We know a ton of people who do. Can I ask a question? Have you tried it before? Have I tried what? Marijuana. I have tried it. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to like it. It just disagrees with me to a great extent. Sure. For so. some people, it causes paranoia. You know, it doesn't sit right with them. But also, I think with the medicinal marijuana, what you can do is work with your doctor to establish a threshold or a level that works for you, which is not unlike other medicine that is out there, whether it's a painkiller or an antihistamine. Heather, you, of course, know what it feels like to be dying, right? I do at mile 26 in a marathon. <laughs> um. It's been painful, <laughs> but I usually drink a beer. <laughs> you go with you don't know since you haven't died. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. All right. Leave it in. Leave it in. I mean, Heather, of course, you and I know exactly what it feels like to be dying, right? No. No, of because we've not. never been dying before, which brings me to the point of who am I to tell someone who is at the end of their life and suffering from intense pain um, no, you can't do this. You can't have this medical marijuana. It's not based on anything really factual. So this is exciting to read. Uh, it says, today, the five-year anniversary of the passage of Carly's Law. Carly's Law, of course, um, was the CBD oil, right? Treatment. We'll get back into that in a minute. We plan to file a true medical cannabis bill in the Alabama House of Representatives. Our intent is simple. We want to bring an alternative treatment option to Alabamians who are suffering from debilitating and painful conditions. The bill will be referred to as the CARE Act, which stands for Compassionate Access Research Expansion. Stay tuned for updates. Press the fight. Signed, Dustin Chandler, who is the father of Carly from Carly's Law. Dustin is here with us now. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me. When you and I first met, CBD oil was not legal. You were pushing that. You were the person uh, really pushing that in the state. And I was proud of you and thought, oh, this is a, a great thing because I can't imagine being in your place, having a daughter who suffers from just an extraordinary amount of seizures every day. But also I thought like, why don't you just break the law and go to other states and get it? Um, but you stuck with the fight. Well, why weren't you just breaking the law at that point? Was it because you were a policeman? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe that had a little bit to do with it. No, you know, sure. I, listen, I'm all about the rule of law. And uh, really, to be quite honest with you, it was more of a uh, my daughter's not the only one. Um, you know, somebody's got to step up and bring the attention to the to the masses and to to everybody and make this known that this is an issue um, and really make the point to to more than just my family and my close friends, but to the entire state that, you know, you know, medicine shouldn't be determined by your zip code. Right. So it was more or less a thing of like, listen, we could go to Colorado. We could go to other states. I actually visited Colorado to see some families that have actually moved there uh, and visited them, visited uh, the, the Stanley brothers in that operation back in 20, I think it was 13 or 14 um, and visited that. 
but really decided uh, with my wife, uh, we decided, you know, we could leave, we could pack up and move. Uh, we could go out there and, and bring it back. But the, the point is, I said, you know, let's, it's really time to bring that fight, uh, quote unquote, fight to uh, Alabama, make sure people know that, that people need help. And this is a viable option for treatment for seizures. Help us understand the benefits from uh, of CBD oil. Help our listeners and us understand the effects of CBD oil on seizures that Carly was afflicted with. Yeah, you know, medically, I you know the all the the technical things that it does to the brain. I'm not really up on, but I can tell you this. You know, when my daughter started taking it, you know, she was upwards of two to three hundred seizures per day. Wow. Um, yeah, on yeah, EKG. Two, two, really quick. Two to three hundred per day. Each of my children have had one febrile seizure seizure each, and it was one of the most terrible terrifying things I've ever witnessed. I can't fathom what you guys are going. Yeah. And so that's, well, that right there is the reason why you got to stand up and, and make something happen. And, you know, um, she was having two to 300 that would show up on EKG. A lot of them were very small. Some of them were a little bit bigger. Uh, she was having, I believe at that time it was about six to seven real big ones, uh, the grand mall type, the tonic clonics, uh, where she would really, uh, convulse, uh, turn blue, uh, and, and really scare you. Um, and after we started the CBD oil, you know, through the study and everything, she she really saw immediate results um, within, I think it was really within the first two days, first two doses um, of the oil. And not only did we, see, did we see seizure improvement, we saw cognitive improvement as well, her her mother and I. So, um, you know, I can speak to that. Now, obviously, was it a silver bullet at the time? Did seizures just automatically go away? Uh, we would have stretches that we wouldn't have any seizures, and then we would have one. We never really had any of the real bad ones, the tonic clonics, uh, until much later, and we got those back under control. So her her brain waves improved, and that is something that um, you can physically see, you know, all the squiggly lines as they're putting all these probes on, or the, the uh, readers on your brain. And um, it's as a parent – to see your child seizing, you know, six to seven times with a hardcore ones. You know, she had nine in a row one night, and I basically said, as a dad, enough's enough. And that's when, you know, um, I, you know, it was it was crazy how upset I was at the doctors, at everybody, that my child, I can't do anything about it. But to go from that feeling to at least the feeling of relief that your child may be getting some relief from CBD oil, and that was just a huge thing for us as parents tonight and and today. Um, you know, seizures are under control. It is just a good feeling that we're not uh, always, you know, looking around the corner for the big bad seizure to happen as we were uh, when she was younger. She's now eight years old. And I really give a lot of uh, credit to the CBD oil. Uh, you know, she's on a couple other medications for other things. And but the CBD is, is a big part of that. And she's on a low dose of CBD. This is not like something we've cranked up and she's having a whole you know, a gallon's worth of CBD to do this. It's been very low dose. She's one of the few that's a lower dose. And we've been very thankful for CBD. And, and you know, I'll, I want to thank all the people back then. You know, it's it's been such a long time. It was five years. And when I found that out today, I couldn't believe that five-year anniversary. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of people that joined in at the very end of that that helped push that through. So, uh, but, and that's that was really the reason, going back to the original question of, you know, why didn't we break the law? Well, because more people in Alabama more parents of children that are suffering this need to need to have that feeling of hope. And that's all we ever ask for is hope. Yeah, it was a very noble fight. Um, Heather and I always say this whenever we talk about laws around marijuana is that we don't smoke marijuana personally. It's just yeah. not our preference. Um, so we just want to give that disclaimer that they're not just a bunch of potheads sitting around like, yeah, oh, me either. Hope either. Yeah. yeah, so you were a police officer. Um, Correct. And that's what I was going to ask you. You don't smoke pot? No. 
What is, you mentioned you were in the capital of Alabama this week um, in Montgomery, for those listening who may not know. Um, what is the next step for you and your um, advocacy? And are you working with a legislature to take a new bill to uh, committee? Or what is the next step? Yeah, well, you know, the next step, you know, we're going to file the, the CARE Act, like uh, that statement said today on Facebook. Um, we're going to, uh, Mike Ball out of Madison, up in that area, he's going to carry the bill in the House. Madison is near Huntsville. Yep, for near those Huntsville, listening. North Alabama, yeah. And uh, the next step is really to uh, start gaining better access to uh, medical cannabis uh, for the entire state, uh, not just, uh, you know, CBD oil. Uh, but it'll be, uh, you know, a true medical cannabis bill. And, and it's something that we are uh, really putting forward to um, really get the doctors involved uh, where they can recommend medical cannabis as different options. Uh, I think that's where we need to go there. Um, and another part of that bill uh, really is going to be to, uh, you know, listen, we can say, hey, you guys, you know, medical cannabis might help you. A doctor could tell you that maybe if we could ever pass a bill like that. Well, then the issue on comes up, well, where are you going to get it? You know, um, and, you know, this bill is going to take it a step further to say, listen, we want private industry to come in and grow uh, here in the state medical cannabis and allow that to supply uh, the the people of Alabama that are on medical cannabis. If anyone wants to support your bill, what can they do? Oh, absolutely. You know, you need to call, you know, obviously keep up with it on Facebook. They can follow me on Carly's Law, C-A-R-L-Y, Carly's Law. Uh, they can you know follow my personal page. Most updates will be on Facebook that Carly's Law page, uh, and when the time comes to really contact their legislator, their their local uh, representative, the one that they vote for, they don't vote for, and really express your concern and really support for the bill when they see it come up. That's what we're going to need. We're going to have to have a, a grill of groundswell of support for this. Uh, I learned early on, back when I was getting into. Uh, I wouldn't say politics, but getting into trying to push bills advocacy. through. Advocacy. Advocacy for your daughter. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, down in Montgomery, you know, ag- advocacy in Montgomery for my daughter and, and then other people. Uh, if the people want things to happen and they're, you know, they have a collective voice, then things can happen. And, and usually lawmakers will listen to that. Maybe not all of them. Uh, but, you know, the people do have a voice. And that's what we've always said about my daughter. You know, she has no voice. Uh, she's, she, she can communicate, but she's nonverbal, I should say. And uh, but really, kids like that still have a voice, and and they've they've done a lot in this state, and I think we just want to move that move that forward. I can't imagine you as a dad, being a dad myself. I can't imagine you having to hear people tell you that you can't give your daughter something that will heal her pain. Yeah, well, that's that's it, right? Is and I think we can even take it a step further than that. Obviously, a dad to his daughter, or a father or mom to their child, you know, being able to get them help. That's something that. You know, it's hard to accept, and that's that's hard within itself. Uh, so that's one thing. But then there's another level of, you know, if doctors and, and people are willing to step up and say, we think medical cannabis can help, and we have doctors telling us that, and, and you know, end-of-life care, uh, cancer treatments, PTSD, uh, I mean, you name it. You know, if the doctor says, hey, there's potential there that this could help you, it is beyond me how we can step in between a doctor and their patient and not allow them to help them, uh, especially when there's growing data or data that shows that this could be a, p- a potential help for these ailments. You know, it's it's something that's interesting that we've got border states like Georgia, Florida, uh, now Tennessee. You've got other states around here in the in what we call you know the deep south that are looking into this. And why not Alabama? 
But that's that is the one thing that we I always get. I heard it yesterday, and and I think I've even heard it today. You know, well, you know, I've always heard this. You know, well, good luck. You know, you're in Alabama. Well, I get it. You know, because of the history and the stigma of everything that goes along with a uh, cannabis and medical cannabis. But I'll, at some point, we've got to get past that, uh, and we've got to look at uh, help the suffering people of Alabama. And I think this is the way to do it. And um, I just hope we can get something done. Dustin Chandler. Thanks for keeping up this fight and trying to do something to help people that need help here in the state. Thanks, ma'am. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let's expand it. Let's pass a bill that allows for medicinal marijuana here in the state of Alabama. I hope this bill will see, um, you know, its way out of a committee and that they can vote on it and that we will have legalized in some small way medicinal marijuana here in the state of Alabama. We're overdue. And if the CARE Act is passed, here's what we'll be looking at as a state. This is not recreational marijuana. This is where your doctor will prescribe to you and you'll get a medical card for Alabamians with qualifying medical conditions. There will be licenses for cultivation, processing, transportation, manufacturing, packaging, dispensing, and the sale of cannabis in Alabama. It's not like you can just grow it in your house and then give it to your neighbor who has a tummy ache. Although, I'm sure there are people who do that. I am not saying you should, but we both went to Auburn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think we're, we're sort of making light of a very serious topic. And I this is going to be good for Alabama. Gosh, and can you imagine if the CARE Act actually passes, we won't be the last state at something? <laughs> I know. So our heroes today are Dustin Chandler sure. fighting the good fight for medical marijuana and Representative Republican Jim McClendon for fighting the good fight on the lottery. All right, time for the not news story of the week. This is where we talk about something that everybody's a buzz about, but it's not actually a thing. Hey, I heard that all Democrats are now socialists. So that, that's right. Huh? I, I, I don't know about this. This is... This is the new catchphrase where we're lobbing this negative, where this negative connotation of a word socialist to a political party or those affiliated with a political party. And it's just nonsense. And some politicians on the Democratic side have labeled themselves with that word. But it's not just that word. It's democratic socialism, not just socialism. There's a big difference in that. Give us the definition. Okay, so the difference is democratic socialists, they don't want the government to own the means of all production. And socialists do. Democratic socialists believe that just certain general social goods like healthcare, those kinds of things should be run by the government, not our whole society. But also it allows for the private institution to exist as well. It doesn't eliminate the private agencies entirely. If we want to talk about socialized programs, let's talk about them. Social security. It is literally in the name. Our highways and roads, our public libraries, our public education, and on and on. So I think that it's easy to lob this negative, big, bad socialist word or socialist democrat onto someone. But the reality is, is that we live in a country where the government does have socialized programs that we have all taken advantage of. Heck, you could even look at the roadways, right? And our military in some way is a socialized program used to protect us. So I think everybody needs to just chill out and not make this a news story because it's the non-news story of this week. Boy, Heather, I think that was our best episode yet. Well, top three. <laughs> Definitely in the top three. We want to thank all of our listeners for subscribing, share, 
click five stars and give us a review if you are liking the show. And as always, follow us on social media. We're at Pod South on Twitter and on Facebook. Yeah, and if you're thinking about giving less than five stars, we don't like you either. No, you can just go listen to uh, Katie Couric. Sebastian Gorsum. I don't even know how to say it. I don't either. All I know is that we beat them when we first released our podcast. So yay. Take that, Katie. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.